This week's episode is brought to you by the letters A, C, J, and S, as we welcome A.J. Truman to talk about his Browerton University series, and C.S. Poe joins us as part of the 2016 GRL blog tour. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 46 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. How goes it this week? It goes it fine. It goes it fine. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, I know, no complaints, nothing out of the ordinary or weird. How, how about you, sir? It's been a good week. Also, nothing out of the ordinary or weird, so yay. Yay for us! <laughs> <laughs> yay, we're so boring that we don't have anything to report on our own podcast. Well, we got plenty of stuff to talk about. Okay, well... So here we go. Okay, hit, hit it! Hit it! <laughs> so, just a couple bits of writing news this week. Uh, got the blurb approved for Love's Opening Night. So mm-hmm. that, that story's moving along nicely. Yep. And uh, also finished off the first chapter for the Hat Trick 3 Rainbow High spinoff. Mm. So kind of happy about that. Yeah. Now I just have maybe 26 more to go. <laughs> Bazillion more words. That'll be a, a yeah. complete book. Yeah. So last weekend we met a cool guy. A cool guy? A cool guy. We actually did, We yes. did. Um, while we were brunching... Uh, uh, with our announcer, Clint Revick, who we never get to mention on the show. Wait, while we were brunching. While we were brunching. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> because we were. I bet. Okay, yes, we were brunching, technically. Um, we met Matthew O'Brien, mm-hmm. who ended up sitting in the booth across from us. Uh, we were chatting with him because he had a Boba Fett shirt on and Will had a Star Wars shirt on. And he heard us talking about the podcast, so we found out about his art project, mm-hmm. which is called the Skull Face Project. Uh, and this combines his love of art, music, history, celebrity, and current events into this piece of work that he posts every day on his Instagram account and cross-posts on Facebook. And essentially, it takes a skull face, but overlays pop culture or news. We've seen him. He's turned the Enterprise into a skull face for Gene Roddenberry's birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used the Brazilian flag to honor the uh, Brazilian men's soccer team winning their gold medal at the Olympics. He celebrated Elvis's birthday. He celebrated uh, the Wizard of Oz premiere date with a Tin Man. It's really cool stuff. So you should really check this guy out. Uh, Facebook.com slash Skullface Project, all one word. Or on Instagram, you can find him at Skullface underscore project. Mm-hmm. And we'll link to that in the show notes so you can check out his work. Yeah, I've been following him on, on Facebook, and he posts every day, and uh, it's lots of fun. Yeah, and sometimes it's, multiple times a day. Yeah. He's, he's turning out a lot of cool work. <laughs> it's cool, it's funky, it's different. Yeah. yeah. Definitely check him out. Yeah, check him out. And in terms of friends to check out, our, our friends at Truth Slash Fiction had a really good week. Mm-hmm. You want to tell the folks about this? I'll make you read something now. <laughs> well, okay. I'll read this little blurb that you wrote. I don't n- actually... Okay. Congrats on being the official selection at both the ITV Fest Independent Television Festival, uh, which is going to be October 5th through the 9th in Dover, Vermont, and the New York Television Festival, October 24th through the 29th in NYC. Yeah, that's very cool for them. Getting picked up in a couple of festivals. So they've got two of those lined up. Awesome. Yeah. So you guys should follow the True Slash Fiction guys at facebook.com slash true slash fiction or on Twitter 
at truth slash fic as they get details on when their screenings are going to be. Because this will be a chance for you guys, if you're in the Northeast, to see the pilot uh, on big on the big screen. And you don't want to miss it because you already know we think it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. So we'll give you some links to those in the show notes as well. Yes. Congrats to those guys. And uh, check them out online and uh, see what they're up to. Yeah. Best of luck to them. It's good stuff. So I read a comic book this week. You read a comic book. I read a comic book. Do tell. Because I've been I've been beta reading for some people, so I haven't got anything on the novel front to read. Ah, okay. But I've I, ch- I saw this this week. It's called The Backstagers, and it's from Boom Studios. Uh, it's a book from a by writer by the name of James Tinyon the Fourth, and I'm going to butcher this next name, and I apologize. And trans artist uh, Ryan Sig, maybe. I apologize for that. Uh, this is an all-ages story about the behind-the-scenes adventures of a high school stage crew. And the writers and the artists came together uh, for an article on The Advocate, and they're really pushing this to help uh, young people find themselves in the pages of a comic. So there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of uh, LGBT characters in this lineup. Um in fact, they were talking to the advocate, and they're like, "We have a straight character in here, do we really?" And they <laughs> think they do. Um, this first uh, installment, which came out this past week, is really sweet. As you get to meet all the characters, they have this little adventure in their backstage area because their backstage apparently is. It reminded me of a little bit of Narnia, where there's like these doors and they can just kind of go other weird places. Uh, so it's really a delight. We'll have some links uh, in the show notes to Boom Studios. With all the details on how to get it, you can get your digital version um, at Comixology, which is a uh, Amazon company. So it's really easy to just read it on your tablet, and it's also out in comic book stores. Cool. Yeah. Where else can they uh, check that out? Uh, boomstudios.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we'll I, have it in the show notes, all the good places. Plus, we'll link up to the Advocate article, too, which is really good. Oh, uh, okay. Awesome. I haven't read that yet, but uh, hands up to everyone who, who was uh, backstage on a high school musical show. Or on stage for or, you. I, I yeah, I've done both. I was yeah. a I was a terrible high school actor and I wasn't very good backstage either, but uh yes. Yeah. I did my turn at backstage <laughs> later in life, but I've 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 done that myself. So I could kinda relate to some of the things they were going through. Although there was no backstage going to Narnia mm. at, at Ferndale Rep. No. No. I was <laughs> yeah, I was a four year High school drama nerd. Uh, now you read this week but too, that, but that's in the past. Let's let's talk about the future or the present. Actually, the present. let's talk about the present and the books that I have been reading. Yes. Um. Recently, I finished uh the most uh, one of the most recent Dreamspun Desire books, uh, book number sixteen. It's called Marriage of Inconvenience by M. J. O'Shea. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because we've been plugging her a whole lot this year. This is the third Dreamspun Desire she has released in 2016. Uh, And I have loved every single one of them. This specific book uh, takes a look at, of course, the classic trope, uh, Marriage of Convenience. It is about a Hollywood actor who uh, is caught in a compromising position. Uh Uh-oh. Just as his career is about to be launched uh, because he got a part on this... Uh, really successful cop show. So uh, he turns to a uh, PR company to uh, clean up matters before he starts shooting the new season of this show. 
And it just so happens that one of the young gentlemen on the PR team happens to look exactly like the stranger uh, uh, Jericho Knox encountered in this incriminating photo. Oh, that's a great name. So... So Jericho has to pretend to have a uh, relationship with this young guy, uh, and they hate each other at first, uh, but uh, as they, you know, go out on fake dates and do the Hollywood thing, they <laughs> begin to realize, you know, there's a, a, another side to their story, uh, and of course they fall in love. Uh, I really, really enjoy this book. I've enjoyed all of MJ's books, and I think where she really excels is she takes these um, pretty, you know, standard tropes, uh, which is the whole idea behind Dream Spun Desires, and she really humanizes the characters. We understand what they're thinking and feeling uh, in these specific situations, and um, the characters are... Uh, uh, they really, she really brings them to life. They're very real and very relatable, and I particularly love the two leads in Marriage of Inconvenience, so I highly recommend it. I can't wait to read that one. I read her other two dream spuns and absolutely loved them. Mm -hmm. So I'll, as soon as I get out of my beta reading stuff, I'm, I'm headed to that book. Yeah, and now that I'm actually finished with this book, I'm actually moving on to MJ's next book. It is uh, uh, Open Road. Called Open Road, and it tackles the sort of well, road movie trope. Uh, oh, that's got to be fun. Two, two friends on a road trip uh, finding love together. Uh, the reason that I'm uh, doing uh, two of MJ's book in a row is because uh, we are, of course, big fans of her. And we've also booked an interview with her in the uh, coming weeks. Yeah, she'll so, be on the podcast in uh, middle September. So, yeah, we get to fanboy over MJ. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, if there are authors that you know and, and love, then go ahead and start a podcast. That way you can talk to them whenever you want. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to that interview. Uh, we can talk about how prolific she's been in 2016. It's like, what was that girl doing in last year? Yeah, late last year, she must have been just on the, on the, on the, on the, the buzz of writing. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. No kidding. Anyway, so we're looking forward to that. So, we're starting kind of a 60-day challenge of our own. Mm -hmm. So as of, of yesterday, Saturday, August 20th, there are 60 days to GRL. Exactly 60 days. Yeah. And so we've started a 60-day fitness goal because we are both, we're both fat. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> we're both fat. Uh, for me, it's a problem. It's, it's messing up my asthma to be as heavy as I am. Mm -hmm. uh, it's messing up my sleep. Uh, making me snore more than I do anyway. Um, and so it, it's it's time to take control of that a little bit in the next 60 days and really focus on eating better, uh, which I think is where we both really mess up uh, the most, although we could both certainly work out more, but the food is a big problem. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking to take control of it over the next 60 days. And so we mentioned it here on the podcast for a little accountability. Yeah. the I, so I proposed this idea to Jeff uh, mm -hmm. on Friday. And it's like, hey, you know what? It's exactly 60 days until GRL. Do you want to do this thing with me? So uh, we don't have a specific outcome in mind. What we're looking to achieve is what, what are the results going to be if we eat correctly for exactly 60 days? We're going to mm -hmm. see how far we can get. 
Uh, first of all, how many yeah. days in a row can we eat correctly? Uh, which has been a challenge for us in the past. Yeah. Um, and uh, what are the results going to be if we do that for you know exactly 60 days? How much weight are we going to lose? How are we going to feel after that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, it's not about a specific number of pounds lost or, you know, a certain number of workouts achieved, you know, during mm-hmm. the week or anything like that. It's really kind of exploratory because both of us have really uh, essentially fallen off the diet and fitness wagon in a major way. Yeah, uh, that is at, very true. In 2016. So this is um, a little bit of an experiment to find out what our new baseline is going to be. Yeah, that's a that's, great way to put it. That's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. It's not like, I, you know, I've got to lose 20 pounds by GRL. Rah, 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 rah. You know, I'm not going to be, like, hardcore about that. Um, it's just that, you know, uh, we're doing this one challenge, and uh, specifically for us, it's going to be eating correctly for exactly 60 days. Yep. Yeah. Which means we're going to pig out at GRL with a lot of barbecue. <laughs> Probably, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to deny that. Probably. Time now for the GRL Guest Author Spotlight. We're happy to welcome C.S. Poe to the podcast as part of the official 2016 GRL blog tour. C.S. is an author of gay mystery, romance, and paranormal books. She's a reluctant mover and has called many places home in her lifetime. She's lived in New York City, Key West, and Ibaraki, Japan, to name a few. She misses the cleanliness, convenience, and limited edition gachapon of Japan, but was never very good at riding bikes to get around. She has an affinity for all things cute and colorful, and a major weakness for toys. C.S. is an avid fan of coffee, reading, and cats. She's rescued three cats, including one found in a drainpipe in Japan who flew back to the States with her. Zach Milo and Casper do their best on a daily basis to sidetrack her from her work. C.S., welcome to the show. Thank you. Are, are the cats going to make an appearance uh, on the interview? I, I hope not, because they'll be all up in here. <laughs> That would be okay. Uh, so tell us about your new book that's coming out, The Mystery of Nevermore. It's out August 31st. August 30th. 30th, okay. Yep. Um, it's the first in a series. It's the Snow and Winter series. And the whole series follows the sort of misadventures of Sebastian Snow, an antique dealer and amateur sleuth, and his NYPD homicide boyfriend, uh, detective boyfriend. And the first book is How They Meet, which is being brought together by murder mysteries surrounding the writing of Edgar Allan Poe. So using a little bit of your namesake there, too, with Poe. I I was definitely inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. I even have an Edgar Allan Poe tattoo. Nice. Nice. Any other particular inspirations for that book that the readers would be interested in? Um, The to Josh Lanyon, who is one of my absolute favorite writers, and there's a very tiny Easter egg in there that, if anyone notices, is a little shout-out to Josh. Nice. So, look for it, it's there. Okay. Now, you've moved everywhere. Yep. <laughs> but you, you're very into Japan, so what was one of your favorite things about living there? So, besides the the language, the culture, the people. Uh, my favorite thing were the gachapon. Okay, now what particularly drew you to those? Um, so gachapon are 
the little toy vending machines, and I'm sure, like, everyone probably knows what they are. You kind of see them in America, but they usually have, like, stale candy and bounty balls in them. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, they're, um, they're very popular, and they're always full of, like, the most popular animes or, you know, of the week, and it's always full of limited edition toys. And first off, I'm like, well, toys is my thing, and they're tiny, so I can put them on shelves. I got this whole thing back there full of toys, and um, they're only about 200 yen, which is like two dollars. And so you just pull some coins out, drop them in a machine, and uh, gachapon is actually just a sound in Japanese. It's not even a word. Gacha is the sound that. And pon is the Japanese sound for plop. So it's like, gotcha, pon, and it falls out. And uh, so they always have cats, because cats are a big thing in Japan. So every time that I saw a machine, I would stop to see if they had any cat toys. And it was, you know, the machine outside my junior high school I taught at, the one outside the drugstore, the grocery store, the furniture store. There's whole alleyways in Tokyo just full of the machines because it's empty real estate. There's a, a street in Ueno, which is a part of Tokyo. The whole line with the machines. It was the best 10 minutes of my life. I spent like $20 on toys. Now, do you get to pick the toy you're getting out of the machine, or is it random? Yeah. So if you want one, there's usually like five or six, and you want one particular, you just have to keep cranking, hoping that you're going to get it. And that's how they make so much money off of you. My friend visited me at the time when we found the, the street in Ueno. It's like 100 machines there. She easily spent $20 on one machine trying to get one particular toy. Wow. So, so do you end up and get to, like, trade and collect with your friends? Or oh. they have ones you want? Oh, my God, yeah. I would get, like, I keep going to the same cat machine to try and get more, and I would just get duplicates. I'm like, what am I going to do with four white cats? I want the calico. So I would mail my sister all the duplicate toys I got. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that was me. I was an English teacher who just spent all of her money on toys. They knew exactly what to put in front of you with these machines. <laughs> it, was, it was so easy. It was so easy. You know, and it's silly stuff like cats made to look like little ice cream desserts or little dogs made to look like sandwiches. It's like the most ridiculous and useless thing you can think of. And that was the toy. It was great. So, is there going to be a story set in Japan at some point, or have a collector of, of Gachapon in a story somewhere? Um, I didn't think of that, but there should be some Gachapon in a story. I do have an idea for a story that would at least have a few scenes in Japan, um, which I, I'm happy to do, but it's probably not going to be for a few years. But I do have a number of Japanese characters and one of them I'm writing now, so I'm hoping that maybe a sequel or a would be where he's back in Japan. That's cool. So you came back from Japan with all these toys and a cat. I did. And that, that was uh, not planned. Um, at my junior high school, the, the thing that is very different in Japan is that every single day in the afternoon before school the students have to clean the school. There is no janitorial staff for public schools. So every teachers kind of oversee like eight or nine kids, and they all have to clean up a part of the school. 
and I oversaw the first year students who were the equivalent of seventh graders. And um, they cleaned the front of the school, like where all the, the little lockers are for the shoes and the front, uh, you know, sidewalk and everything, make it look nice. And um, I was waiting for them to put away all the mops outside. And they come running back inside, sensei, sensei. And they told me, you know, we found a cat. And there are a lot of stray cats in Japan. And I know one in particular that lived in the area. I was like, oh, guys, it's just a cat. That's okay. They didn't say kitten. They had said cat. And they wanted to show us. So me and the other English teacher went outside. And they're pointing to this corner behind a drain pipe, like, hey, it's in there. And I'm like, I don't see anything. And I reach in, and they pull out a tiny little cat. And I was like, okay, guys, that's a kitten, not a cat. It is like four weeks old. It can't walk. It, you know, falls over. They go back inside, and I look at the other teacher, and he's like, you should keep it. He's a Japanese guy. You know, I'm a foreigner living in in an apartment building that does not allow pets. And I was like, oh, I can't. You know, my building won't allow it. He's like, I think it'll be okay if you don't tell anyone. I'm like, well, the Japanese break the rules. I guess I will, because I'm not going to leave it. It was, you know, I think uh, beginning of September, so it was starting to get kind of cool, and the cat was clearly abandoned by his mom. It was all alone hiding. So I took it home, but that day I happened to have um, my monthly meeting with the other foreign teachers where we get together and just talk about, you know, how our classes were going and share I ideas for, you know, future projects, and I was like, I have to go to the town hall to meet with a whole bunch of other teachers with this cat who won't stop crying unless I hold it in my hand, so I went to the town hall with a little box, and the box is crying the whole way to the meeting room, and then I sit for an hour and a half with this little orange cat in my hand, and he became Milo, and uh, all the Americans got it, Milo and Otis, little orange cat, they all thought it was great. All the Japanese citizens thought my parents a girl's name in Japan. My Japanese vet wanted to uh, fix her, and I was like, no, 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 he, we have to do something different. He is not a she. So that was interesting. But, uh, yeah, I, I came back with Milo and had to go through more paperwork than you can ever imagine for exporting an animal out of Japan. Would never wish that upon my enemy. Wow. I was going to ask about the if there was like, what, if you could just like bring it home or. Oh, America didn't care. I walked right in. They didn't give a crap. Japan, I had to see two vets. I had to get national paperwork notarized and stamped, signed the day I was leaving at the airport. It was wow. It took like two weeks to organize. I'm glad you researched it earlier. You might have been in Japan longer than you expected yeah. to be. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to to swing back to your new series a little bit, how many books do you have planned overall for that, or is it kind of an open-ended? There are four books planned. I'm I'm leaving it at that. There might be a fifth book, but it kind of has to, if it all falls into place, right? So right now there are four. Okay. And after this one comes out, what's coming next for you? Next after this, is a historical steampunk short story that comes out around the end of the year. It's going to be in an anthology that Kim Fielding was putting together with me and 12... It's called Once Upon a Time in the Weird West. So they're all 
you know, kind of like alternate history, Western kind of stories. And um, mine is called Gunners of Deadly. And it was a lot of fun to write because I love doing steampunk. That's where I started before Mysteries. So it was really cool to go back to that. And then after that is actually the second Snow and Winter book, The Mystery of the Curiosities, which will be out in February. Cool. What are you looking forward to in Kansas City this year? Well, I've never been to Kansas City, so it sounds like fun. And uh, I went to GRL last year, but I went as just a reader. So it was really cool to like actually meet authors for the first time and you know do your little, oh my God, fangirl moments. So you know I'll get to fangirl again, which is always great. Um, but this time I get to meet readers you know, as an author, which is super exciting to do. And also um, I love to socially drink. So, get some whiskey and ginger, some margaritas, let's do this. I'm ready. Awesome. So, what's the best way for people to keep up with you online? Um, I'm on Facebook probably the most. Uh, my Facebook is the one because Sunder took CSO already. Oh. Also on Twitter, which is CS underscore Poe because someone took it already. But, you know... Goodreads, too. I have a website, cspo.com. I'm always around those places, not doing work, you know, getting sidetracked by the internet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, CS. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and we look forward to seeing you in Kansas City. Thank you so much. You can follow the GRL Blog Tour by going to gayromlit.com slash 2016 blog tour. <laughs> So the Big Gay Fiction Podcast has teamed up with the authors we're hosting for the GRL blog tour to give away a 7-inch fire tablet loaded with the books from our guests. And in addition, I'm giving books from my catalog, and Wild City Press is also offering up a bunch of books from their authors who are attending GRL. You can see the rafflecopter on episode 46 show notes to enter. The Big GRL blog tour giveaway runs through Sunday, October 23rd. And on that page, you'll also find a link to the participating authors who are giving books. And you did the word for this week. And in honor of the new comic book, that'll be Backstagers. Backstagers. So, I got to talk to A.J. Truman a couple weeks ago. Um, A.J. is the author of the Browerton University series of new adult books. I read a few weeks ago, uh, I believe it was called Out on a Limb. I didn't put that in the notes, of course, because that'd be too easy. <laughs> it's the second book the, in the series that I read, and I found it to be a total delight. And so, and A.J. actually also... Uh, uh, kind of stalked us a little bit to get on the show, which was entirely cute, and we talk about that in the interview a little bit, too. So let's talk to AJ. I'm excited to welcome AJ Truman to the podcast. AJ remembers his college days like it was yesterday, even though, as he says, it was definitely not yesterday. He writes books with Uber, Hart, and Hot Guys, and loves spending time with his pets, his partner, and writing on his sun porch. His latest book, Out on a Limb, was published earlier this year. AJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Oh, we're, we're, it's it's cool to have you here because you, and we'll talk about this a little more in depth later. But you actually campaigned to, to be on the show. I mean, yep, yep. Had a whole campaign. Hired Carl Rove. You know, did the whole nine yards. Yeah, which was which was uh, you know quite flattering to us because I mean usually <laughs> authors say, "Hey, can I be on your show? Here's my book." And but you you your campaign was awesome and really caught our attention. Happy. Um, tell us about your Bowerton series and what its inspirations were. 
So the Brereton series, um, it started about 10 years ago when I wrote my first book. It was a book about kids in college because back then I was a kid in college and it was angsty and full of drama. And then when I tried to show it around, um, most of the Asians, Asians said, oh, you know, we don't really public, they don't really publish books about kids in college. It either, either has to be young adult, so teenagers and below, or it has to be adult. Or, you ha- or it has to be literary fiction like Curtis Sittenfeld did with Prep. And my book was definitely not literary fiction. I mean, I was inspired. I like to think of my books as those WB shows from the 90s, but in book form, and everyone's gay, like Felicity or Dawson's Creek. Like, I used to watch those growing up. And so, and yeah, this was 10 years ago before New Adult was ever a thing. Um, And then flash forward a few few years, um, and I still had the idea to do something like this. And I had written a book that was traditionally published. I was writing for for young adult, but I wanted to write something a little bit more mature. And self-publishing had gotten big. And what really tipped me off is I went on a book tour for my young young adult book, and at every stop, we did an event with other authors. And after, and after these events, authors, we always go out for drinks and bitch about our publishers. <laughs> it's like tradition. Um, so it's the tradition and traditionally published. But anyway, so every time I went out after these authors, there was always at least one or two who said, oh, yeah, I'm writing these books for my publisher, but I'm also self-publishing New Adult and I'm making a killing. Or I'm self-publishing Romance or Erotica. And just after hearing this, I said, you know, I feel like now is the time. Um, you know, if you want to do something, just do it. And I have this idea, and I really want to write about gay kids in college because from my own experience, I didn't come out till I came to college. I came out, like, the first week I was in college. It was, like, pent up. But college is such an interesting time because it's the first time when you're on your own, there's no parents, you're really trying to figure out stuff on your own, even just... Like, before I went to college, I never cooked a meal in my life. Like, my mom had always made all my meals. So now I'm in a dining hall and I have to make those choices. And just trying to, you know, figure out how to be an adult and, like, find your own way in the world and figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. And then add to that, a lot of kids come out in college. And I think for gay guys especially, there's this huge maturation curve because, you know, whereas heterosexual kids might experiment in high school you know, a lot of gay guys in the closet don't do that. So all of a sudden you go from like closet to like being around tons of gay guys and like really trying to figure out what you're just trying to figure figure everything out. And it's, I mean, I was just, I was shocked that there weren't, that there weren't more books about gay characters, characters in college or, or if there are, they're always like really sad, you know, cause like, they have to, like, die or something. So I'm like, I want to write, like, a Dawson's Creek or Felicity about gay kids in college. Um, and so I had this idea for Out in the Open, and I worked on it. I remember, um, yeah, I just, I would work on it in between when I was working for stuff from my old publisher. And even when I was on my book tour, I'd wake up early and, like, do and do some editing of it. And I just, I put it out there, and I said, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And the response was over overwhelming like better than I ever imagined um I was just so happy that people found the book and people connected to it um and it really just inspired me to to keep putting these books out you know I think it's such a fertile ground Mm -hmm. you're very right about new adult and even books about you know college in general you look at uh like Serena Bowen created her whole Ivy Year series and 
has the straight characters and the gay characters, and they just all mesh up together through those books. So it's such a fertile kind of ground right now, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there was, like, so much drama when I was in college. You know, like, the fun type and, then like, the not-so-fun type. It's just, it, it, it was just such an interesting experience for me. And I feel like, you know, there has to be people around the world going through that same experience, you know, to go from being, you know, with, like, your parents. And also, too, what I love about it is that college can be a fresh start for a lot of people. You know, I went to college halfway across the country. It was a fresh start for me. I didn't know anyone there. So you can try to be whoever you want to be. And I think what I try to do with my books is try to – it's about people who are trying to shed their old selves – and thinking, oh, I'm in a new place. I can be whoever I want to be. But realizing that they have to reconcile who, like, who they were in the past in order to move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything in these books particularly autobiographical or a character who is more you than the others? Um, yes. So for Out in the Open, I guess I am more like Ethan. You know, I was like the kind of shy and reserved character. I never had sex in a library or a movie theater. No, I never had sex in a movie theater. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I was definitely that kind of shy person. And without, with Ethan from Out in the Open, his big thing is that he has this group of friends who he's finally in a group of friends, but it's just like they're not his people. But he's trying to make himself into that person. And that's how I was. You know, when I was in college, I had there were these group of kids I kept trying to be friends with. I kept trying to like make myself to be like them because I wanted to be in a group and have a group of friends, but it just, it was not me. And actually, um, the Lorna character in out the open, who's like his, like the girl who becomes this like sassy best friend. She's based on my best friend. And she was actually roommates with one of these kids in this group I was trying to be with. And we just totally connected and, and hit it off. Um, and yeah, so I really, I, I definitely understand what Ethan's going through where you're trying to like you're trying to be someone else. You're trying to like fit in with this group of kids who you think are cool. And it's like your body's fighting it. It's like, ah, oh, this is not me, but like I want it to be me. Um and then with the second book, Out in the Limb, that's a little that's pretty autobiographical, not entirely. So I like to think that Cameron and Walker are me at different points in my life. So Cameron was me in college. I was a film major. All I wanted to do was move out to California and be a screenwriter. That I had my sights set on that. I was hell-bent on it. I just saw the future. And that's how Cameron is. Like, nothing's going to get in his way. Um, and then in the book, he meets Walker, who's this 36-year-old guy with a kid, and he's divorced. And Walker's in a dead-end job that he hates and keeps wondering, how did I wind up in this life? You know, he's kind of like Kevin Spacey in American Beauty, um, except minus all the rose petals. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and that was me. Like, at, at that time, when I was writing this book, I was in a job that I didn't hate, but, it's, but I didn't love. And I think a lot of people are in that situation. It's very rare that someone's in a job that... They just hate and they're miserable going to work. For most of us, we're at a job that, ah, it's fine, but it's not what we love. And do we really want to be spending a third of our life doing this? And that, that's so, how I was. I was, I was, in, the, I was in this, um, I was working in advertising and I was not loving it. And I just kept thinking, you know, how did I get here? How did I go from wanting to be the screenwriter and having all these ambitions to being in this safe, stable job? Mm-hmm. And so I took those two sides myself and I created Cameron and Walker. Um, and, and it was really tough when I was writing that book because what happens now on the limb, 
you're a 22-year-old graduating senior meets your 36-year-old with the kid, and they fall in love, and they try to figure out, you know, how, how can we make this work? You know, I'm moving across the country and graduating. You have a kid. There's no way this can work. And I, you know, I definitely, I did a lot of thinking about how I wanted the book to go, how I wanted it to end, because I wanted them to have their happy endings without sacrificing too much. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, like, the autobiographical aspect. And, like, Brereton is based where I went to college um, in the Midwest. With, with Out on a Limb, I mean, what I really liked about it was how the Cameron and Walker scenario did resolve. It seemed very – it didn't seem forced. It wasn't like you forced the happy ending to get there. It's like they, they truly evolved into what – happened to them and that I, I just love that you don't see at least I haven't a lot of May December in new adult because new adults tends to stay in that college you know not really getting above 25 range and here you put in 36 year old with a kid yeah I know and I loved bringing I, I love bringing this you know 36 year old who thought that life had passed him by and putting him into this world letting him going back to college essentially and really seeing what he would do differently and you know, realizing that you can't go back, but life doesn't end at 36. I think in our society, people think once you hit 30, that's it. It's like, I remember when I was graduating college, we were like, oh, I want to be this by I'm 30. And, and that's, I had that in my, in my mind all throughout my 20s. And then once I hit 30, it was like I got this whole second lease on life, realizing, oh, my God, there's still so much more I can do. You know, there's so many people who switch careers and do all these major change-ups when they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you know. So that's something I learned, but you don't know that when you're 22. Like, mm-hmm. when you're 22, you think someone who's 25 is old. <laughs> Anybody who's graduated is pretty old at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's a line in Anne the Limb I wrote that's from real life where I saw, I remember when I was, like, 22 or 23, and I was still carrying my, my age by half years. Oh, I'm 22 and a half. I'm 23 and a quarter. And this guy who was older once said to me, he's like, you know you're young when you still use half years. You know, once you get a certain age, it all just kind of blends together. And that's true. Like, my birthday's next month. Or no, in September. And, oh, I guess it is next month when this goes live. And sometimes I have to remind myself how old I'm turning. Like, oh, yeah, I, I have that problem, too. And if I have to do the math on it, it just gets worse. Yeah. It's like once I hit, like, 29 or 30, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Just pick a number. Yeah, I know I'm 40-something, <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've hinted towards this a little bit, but how, what got you into writing gay romance were you reading those books and wanting to write them or was it more about telling this college story that was in you already so i I wanted to tell this college story but i didn't know if it could be possible but then i started doing some research and asking around um some of my friends who are really well read and they mentioned this book called social skills by sarah alva um it's this gay new adult book um it's available on amazon it came out 2013 um it's a phenomenal book it's the story is as simple as day, you know, jock, closeted jock and like bookish nerd meet in college. I think they have to like, the nerd is like tutoring the jock. They fall in love, blah, blah, blah. But it's just, it's so well written. When I was reading that book, I just was like, this is why I want to write. Like, this is it. Like it can be done. And it was finding an audience. 
because by the time I read that book, it had been out for probably close to a year, and it was still selling well from what I could see. Like, there is this audience for that. And just reading that really gave me the green light to, to give this a try. And also what I love about self-publishing is that you can take a chance. You know, I didn't know if there was, like, a huge market for this. But the worst that happens is you, you write it, you put it out there, and either people buy it or they don't. So as a reader, what do you like to read? So I like to read wide. And I always tell people, I think to find your voice, you have to read wide. Um, because you have to, I think when you find your, to find your voice, you have to find like what authors speak to you. And then you combine that all into the secret formula that's like your voice. So I love Dave Sedaris, like me talk pretty one day. Tom Wolfe is my favorite. The Bonfire of the Vanities is my favorite book. I love most of, his, most of his other books, like The Right Stuff and A Man in Full. Oh, my God. Gillian Flynn, Gone Girl. Love that. But then I also love, um, uh, like, on the, on the gay romance side, I love The Understatement of the Year by Serena Bowen. Like, I heard about that from your show. I was blown away by that writing. Like, I love that. I love social skills, like I mentioned. The Cranberry Hush by Ben Monopoly. Um, so, oh, and, on, and I also read a lot of nonfiction. Like, I love Malcolm Gladwell, like, Blink, Tipping Point, Outliers. David and Goliath, you can, you can pass on, um, but his first three are really good. Um, and I love, like, right now I'm reading this book uh, by Chris Gillibo, Born for This. I think you'd also read. Yeah. Love that. So I love reading those types of books also. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I, read, I read widely. Um, I, try to, I try to alternate between reading gay romance and then reading, like, other fiction or nonfiction, like, just so I can, like, stay sharp on gay romance and then also, you know, just see what else is out there and see what other type of writing, you know, sticks for me. Because I think you learn from anything you write. You know, you always pick up these little tips and tricks. Yeah, absolutely. You read something, it's like, oh, I like how they did that. Yeah. Let me figure out how to do that myself. Kind of yeah. Thing, yeah, like like uh, the most recent fiction book I read, I read The Firm by John Grisham. I picked it up. I was going to the beach. I found it at Goodwill for 50 cents. And I was really interested to see, like, what made this book so successful because that's what made him John Grisham. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was 500 pages, and I blew through it. It's, it's so de- – the writing is so deceptively simple. You know, there isn't, like, purple prose or anything like that, but it just hooks you. Like, some chapters are all dialogue, but you're just so hooked. It's, you know – I think he he's very he can be very underrated, but I think there is a lot of skill in what him or Nora Roberts does. Yeah, I, I, what he did for the legal thriller, I think, was really you know it turned it turned a corner for that genre. Yeah, really. yeah, because like the main character in the firm is like a tax attorney, the most boring profession <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, what happens? What happens? Oh my god, oh, look at all these fo-. like there's literally a scene where like they're just like photocopying files, and your heart is like racing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he had the knack to make the most boring thing. Like, oh my god. <laughs> so you sent this awesome email to us. the The top ten reasons why AJ Truman would make a great podcast guest, which was just mind blowingly awesome. Because this, I mean, this came, this happened back in May. So I, I think we were barely in it six months at that point. Um. So I'm going to put you on the spot with your number seven. Uh, what's good on Netflix right now? What should I be watching as a Netflix okay. consumer? 
I just watched the best show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The first season is on Netflix. It airs on the CW. The show is amazing. It's so every week it's like a it's a there's two musical numbers in there and the premise of the show it's this girl or this woman this brilliant lawyer who is miserable at her job and she's having a nervous breakdown and she runs into her her old high school crush on the street in New York City and finds out that he's moving to West Covina California so all of a sudden she decides to move to West Covina California and she keep, and she keeps saying that um She's just doing it because she wants to be happy. But, you know, she's still in love with him. But she it is also true. Like, she was miserable in New York. And so she comes to West Covina and she really starts to just, like, be happy. She stops taking her medicine. Um, and the sh- But the show's done in a musical style. Like, in her head, it's a musical. And so two times per episode, people burst into these original songs that are amazing. I mean, they're so catchy on their own. Like, go to YouTube and watch some of them. Um... And yeah, so the show, it's like Ally McBeal. Um, it's very much like an Ally McBeal. It's like quirky, there's music, it's funny. But it's also, it, um, the show is really smart about like feminism and, and misogyny and mental illness and bisexuality. Like there's a proudly bisexual male character on the show that I think is really well done. Um, yeah, and it's just like hysterical. Um, so, so that's great. And then... Um, on the movie side, it's kind of an oldie but a goodie, but Adventures in Babysitting, this movie from the 80s, oh my god, love it. I just like watched it and I just like fell in love with it all over again. Uh, I think it's also a really great example of like really good storytelling too, because it's just like, it's really creative and really fun. Um, and then what other shows am I watching on there? Oh my god, Damages. So speaking of legal thrillers, Damages is amazing it's like glenn close being like the most glenn closest glenn close that ever glenn closed but each season it, it's like 24 and like each season it's self-contained and it's a new case and it's just so smart like there's so many twists and turns and like double crosses it is like a phenomenal legal thriller so if you have any interest in john grisham or just like thrillers or you like shows about strong female characters definitely check out damages too okay I like your pick, though. I especially like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because we were interested in that when it was on the CW, but I think it was on Monday night, and like our DVR was like at capacity for what it could deal with on a Monday night, Yeah, and that did not make the cut, and yeah. we were excited to see that it showed up on Netflix. Yeah, I was like super excited. I didn't want to watch it at first. I'm like, oh, this sounds stupid, but my husband like got me into it, and I was I was hooked, and now like I can't stop singing the songs from the show. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I'm about to look at that. So what advice might you have for those getting, you know, coming into the gay romance genre? Because uh, you're relatively new having only published your first book a couple years ago. So my big advice is to, if you want to write gay romance, read gay romance. There's a lot you can learn. So when I came into this, I had never really read romance. And my, what I thought about romance, well, I knew from like, um, from the young adult world reading contemporary romance and then from watching romantic comedies. And my big misconception with the romance genre and books is that I thought, oh, the guy and girl or the guy and guy, they don't get together till the very end. You just have to sustain that tension for like the whole book. But really when you read these books, you see that most of the time the characters get together. And then the second half of the book is them overcoming bigger obstacles or trying to stay together. And that was a big, that was a big insight for me. Uh, and something like if ha- if I hadn't read these books, I wouldn't have known. 
So, yeah, so if you want to write for the genre, read it. Read the books that are selling well. Read the books that are number one. See what they're doing well. Um, and the best piece of advice I have for, like, new authors, too, I got from Kindle Alexander because I emailed her slash them when I was first starting out just, you know, for advice. And he slash they said, um, build your base. Don't worry about giving away free copies. Build your base. And that's something I take to heart. You know, I've seen authors who are very stingy with arcs or stingy about giving free copies. You know, they're worried about piracy and what have you. I'm not. I I remember for Out in the Open, I contacted reviewers. I even said to reviewers, if you have friends who like to read and, you know, and are active on Goodreads, just, like, send them my way. I'll give them a free copy. They don't have to have a blog, you know. And it was because of that, that got the buzz building on Out in the Open. And that made sales more than make up for what I gave away in free copies. So yeah, so the big the big takeaway is read the genre, study it, and don't be afraid to build your base and give away those free copies. Because yeah, giving away even like fifty copies in the long run, it's going to pay off. Yeah, you really hear that on all the the self publishing podcast type shows. That it's like first in series for free, or using it as a reader magnet, and just use that to build everything else. Yeah. Um, oh, and start up a mailing list. That's also something I learned from the get-go. That's been really helpful. Yeah, that and that was one of my big glitches. I didn't have a mailing list going for the first probably two years that I was publishing, yeah. and it was just like, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I you know I don't have a ton of people on my list. I think it's around two hundred. But even so, I mean, the fact that you're having those like those like rabid fans and. You know, and getting them all to purchase on the same day, it boosts your ranking. And um, and what I always what I always tell people is that if you try to build your if you try to build your community on just a Facebook or only on Twitter or only on Goodreads, you're building on rented land. Because Facebook, at any moment, they could change the rules, and that all could go away. You know, same with any other platform. Mm-hmm. But at least if you have people's email addresses, like for the like, that's not really going to change. That's as solid land as you can get in the in the e world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what's coming up next for you, both with Bowerton and perhaps other projects? Um. So the next book in the Browerton series, Browerton, not Bowerton. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's early. It's early. <laughs> in California, the R is silent. <laughs> um. So my next book is coming out mid-September. Uh, it's called Out of My Mind. And I think of it as When Harry Met Harry. So it's about these two guys that meet the first night of freshman year. One is gay, one is straight. And there's a little misunderstanding. Um, and then they part ways. And, they don't, and then they meet again two years later when they're stuck to be roommates together. And they have to answer that age-old question, can gay guys and straight guys be friends without sex getting in the way? And, you know, one, one of them might see that they are not so straight as they think. <laughs> um, so that, that's coming up next. And then um, I, the fourth book in the series I'm planning to put out in winter 2017. Um, and I think of that as like a 10 things I hate about you in college, or as I call it, I'm calling the book 10 things I gay about gay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, which is about a guy who is paid to take out this uh, this nerd in order to help um, to help everyone in his class, or to help bring de- to help 
bring down the curve in the class. So interesting. Yeah, this nice little fun fun rom com hilarity ensues. So yeah, um, those, those are the two big things I'm working on. And then you know I I have other. I think after that I'm going to look into doing other series and try and try to expand it. So. I definitely, I loved with Out on the Limb, I loved writing about people in Los Angeles since I used to live there, so I'm going to maybe write a series about guys in L.A., but we'll, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Okay. All yeah. right. How far do you see the, the Browerton series go? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. I do a lot of thinking about this, because I've seen some other series that can run for books and books. Like, I know Alexa Land's First and Forever series is up to about 10 12 books by now. Um, and originally I saw it as maybe six books, but the last two books, um, so the two books I have planned after the two that I just talked about, I see them as taking place away from campus, so I might try to brand them as their own duology. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I also, when I started this Browardson series, I had no idea where I was going. Like, I wrote out in the open as a standalone. I didn't even think about a series or an existing universe. So I've really just been working on, like, building like building on that, but there's no firm foundation. And I think for playing a series, it's smart if you can plan it beforehand and say, okay, what characters do I want to talk on each book? Well, how will they weave in and out of, their, of the previous books? Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I think I might I'll probably end the Browarton series sometime in 2017, but, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop writing. I'm going to be coming out with new books and I can always return to it. Sure. Yeah. Spinoffs. Continuations. Because yeah. uh, I certainly wouldn't mind to see, you know, more of Cameron and Walker at some point. Even if they I, just well, show up as, as supporting characters somewhere. I, I know. Someone just emailed me the other day about that being like, oh, are you going to write more about them and you know it's, it's always tough I know like after after I wrote out in the open people are like oh I want to re- read more I want to read more I'm like well they're happy together and they're having sex <laughs> what else can I write about but I actually just published a short story about Greg and Ethan um, going away for the summer so I might do I might do that like release you know short stories here and there but we'll see you know who knows what the future holds Yeah, that's cool. now that Miss Cleo's gone none of us know <laughs> right yeah <laughs> So I know coming up in October, you're going to your first GRL. Whoa! <laughs> Are you excited? Seems like you're excited. I'm excited. I'm like nervous. Okay, so I have a question with the costume party. Because growing up, I always did like handmade costumes. But like, I mean, do people go all out with these costumes? Is this something where I have to, or I should go to a store and like, you know, drop a hundred bucks on a costume or something? Or I mean, how, how into it do people get it's all over the place. I, we've seen people in some amazing, handmade, awesome costumes. We've seen people in store-bought costumes. We've seen people show up in jeans and a t-shirt. And actually, we've been those people. Like we, There's been years that we've gone in just jeans and a t-shirt. You know, whatever we were in that day is what we're in that night. Because <laughs> it's like, just can't, can't cope with making a costume. A couple of years ago, we did we bought costumes and did that. We are thinking about what to do with this Wizard of Oz thing. But we also have a backup plan if we choose to cop out, which we won't. I'm not going to reveal here. People will just see it there. Um, <laughs> and possibly on the Halloween episode of the podcast, uh, 
they'll see that. Uh, but it's really all over the place because it's really the whole event is like do whatever you're you're comfortable with, whatever you want to do. There's no pressure. If if you don't come in a costume, it won't be like what are you doing, you know. Yeah. Or if you're in a costume, you might end up taking five thousand pictures that night because everybody wants to be with your costume. I know. Maybe I'll dress up as the witch because black is slimming, and I can just like find like a black sheet and like cut a hole in it and like wear that. Paint your face green. Put a hat yeah. on. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like I'm I'm really excited for GRL. I um, you know I'm definitely like. I'm a little nervous because I think in just like big social settings, I kind of can clam up a little bit. But it seems to me that a lot of people are in that situation that it's like super friendly. And yeah, I'm just, you know, it's, I'm looking forward to, I haven't really been to one of these writing conventions. Um, so it's just be cool to meet people who like, who are fans of my work and like me to like fangirl over like other people's work. Um, yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I kind of wish I gone last year when it was in San Diego. It was in San Diego last year. Yeah. You know, the weather might be a tad better than Kansas City, maybe. <laughs> San Diego was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Kansas City, you know, Kansas City is the San Diego of the Midwest. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. No, I love Kansas City. <laughs> I don't have a good idea of what Sandy, uh, or what Kansas will be like in October. Because it, it could still be summer, potentially depending on the yeah. year, or it could actually be fall. You know, we'll see. Yeah. So what's the best way for people to find you on the web and keep up with your work? So the best way is to join my mailing list. Uh, I call them the outsiders. They get, they always get the first glimpse of new books, whether it be new covers, titles, te like teases. Um, I run, I run giveaways for them. So you know, to win a, a free book, I'll do it for only for them. So they can win like a free signed cop, like a hard copy like this or like that. Um, and, you know, I'll like, and I'll give them like some free short stories. So if you want the goods, you better join the outsiders and you can do that by going to hhuman.com backslash outsiders. Um, so you can do that. And then you can also find me on Facebook as H.A. Truman. You can find me on Goodreads. Um, and then just my regular old website, hhuman.com. Cool. We will link to all that stuff in the show notes along with the links so people can pick up those books. Yeah. Nice. All right, AJ. Thank you so much for being with us. I think this is, this is super awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank oh, you for, for letting me stalk you and letting <laughs> me come on. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you in person in Kansas. So it's funny that AJ brought up uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as one of his recommendations because we recently uh, just gave it a try mm -hmm. a couple of days ago. I was looking for something to watch while I was on the elliptical uh, and I gave Crazy Ex-Girlfriend a try. It was hilarious. And I said, Jeff, we've got to watch this show. So, so I watched are. it again with Jeff. And now um, we're hooked. Crazy, crazy funny. We've only seen the pilot so far. Uh, but we are hooked, and it's going to go into our regular rotation when the new season starts, uh, probably in a couple of weeks. In October. Yeah. It starts with the CW stuff in October. Mm -hmm. But we'll get through it on the first 18, I think it's 18 episodes in season one on Netflix. Yeah. And we'll get through those before that starts, because it was a hoot, and AJ was 100% right about that recommendation. Yeah. I don't think she's crazy. I would totally move to West Covina for Josh Chan. <laughs> I would too, because he's a hunk. Let's just call it what it is. And totally. Hopefully, since they're two hours from the beach, four in traffic, yeah. uh, he'll be shirtless at some point. Hopefully. Oh. Yeah. 
So anyway, that'll do it for this week. Coming up next week in episode 47, Arshada Shunden is here for the 2016 GRL blog tour, and Danny from Love Bites is going to stop by with some book recommendations. Mm, that sounds fun. Yeah, it'll be a good episode. So that'll do it for this week. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. <laughs>